So but Solana's ripping. Is that so? Which is quite nice. So now this is uh, about uh, proof of stake mining for Solana, um, brought to you by um, multi-chain capital, multi-coin capital? Multi-chain, multi multi-token, multi... Thank you, thank you to our sponsors, uh, Kyle Samadhi. Kyle for, Samadhi. For bringing us uh, all of this. Well, and also, if, speaking of multi-coin, if... Um, Depending on which exchange you might have worked at, there may or may not have uh, gone bankrupt in the last 12 months. That may or may not have a, uh, a former CEO and founder currently being tried before a, uh, a New York State judge. Uh, no verdict yet to my This is all alleged. This is all alleged. Nothing ever dies. I actually made a bet today. I think that uh, SBF spends less than, and there were caveats to this bet. Uh, less than two years in prison and walks out of prison as uh, an alive uh, free man. Um, I took I took the yes. I think I think that he spends less than two years in prison and walks free. Um, and I have lots of reasons for this that I'm not sure I want to be uh, recorded and then and then broadcast. Um, but tonight I'm very excited because. Uh, PubKey just celebrated our one-year anniversary. There have been, uh, you know, a lot. There are a lot of familiar faces that have been here with us from the very beginning. I'm eternally grateful um, for all of you uh, and for all of the support over the last year. Um, but one thing that we've done so far for Bitcoin programming has really been to focus on the like the 201, 301 level content. Like, uh, there's been a lot of you know, deep dives in our mining content, in our lightning content, in our, you know, protocol level development stuff, um, even like the, the mystery bag, you know, cultural, regulatory, macroeconomic stuff. And then now what we want to do, and this has all been sort of part of the plan and the rollout of the Bitcoin programming, we want to go back to the basics and roll out something that's a little bit more 101. And a little bit of a peek behind the curtain as far as like PubKey operations and how that's gone. I would say about 75% of our clientele are not Bitcoiners. They come to the bar because it's a neighborhood bar, it's a neighborhood tavern, it's a dive bar, and that's great. And from my perspective, that's always been like a blue ocean for us and an opportunity to actually share the thing that we are very passionate about uh, in different ways. But then when we start to think about how to actualize that into what a Bitcoin 101 or an introductory would look like, it really comes down to meeting people where they are. And that's a really hard thing to do. It's, it doesn't happen in a Bitcoin 101 uh, as a, single, a singular event. There's too much stuff to cover. And there are, you know, Bitcoin touches so many different things that there isn't one hook. And meeting people where they are isn't a singular focus. So it's an amorphous like, task that is, I think, very, very difficult to accomplish. So we want to have a series of these. And the first one was Mills and Nifty Knee. They came in and just basically like how to think about Bitcoin as a monetary asset, a payment rail. Think about it like Venmo. How do you get started? How do you get off zero? You know, I think this is the second one 
and this is very near and dear to my heart, and you know, and, and Drew and I have been doing these these mining monthlies, you know, for about a year now. And I think this is a good opportunity to level set and talk about the fundamentals of Bitcoin mining. And I think that this operates best as a combination of a 101 and an AMA. So I always say at the beginning of these, this is supposed to be a pub chat, a tavern, talk, whatever, interrupt, challenge, ask questions. This one even more so, right? Because these are the fundamentals. This is actually the baseline level set to understand something that is actually kind of complicated. I was in Bitcoin for a number of years before I got into mining because I think the history of Bitcoin mining in the United States um, was a, a bit of a checkered past. Like we had butterfly labs. There was a outsized advantage for you know, Chinese mining operations with their relationships for ASIC manufacturers, access to you know, massive, massive state-sponsored infrastructure expansion, you know, free, free access to tremendous amounts of electricity, stuff like that, basically made Bitcoin mining in the United States between the years of you know, 2013 until about like 2018, 2019, um, you know, a bit of an afterthought. And that's where I started to get back into it. I did uh, a project at, when, during my tenure at Fidelity, focused on Fidelity's sort of, you know, learnings around Bitcoin mining as like a, uh, a proof of concept, stuff like that, um, back in like, you know, 2015, 2016. But there was no, like, I would say, true industrial mining in the United States for a couple of years afterwards. And there are reasons for that, and I think we're gonna hopefully dive into some of that stuff, but we wanna start with the, the, the pure foundation. Um, as a side note, I'm gonna fix two things. One, the kitchen door is open and we have some noise bleeding out, and two, I think somebody has put the heat on back here, and is anybody warm? It's a little warm back here? All right. Can't so stand I'm the gonna heat? I'm gonna, no, I can't stand it. I'm a cold weather person. He's a I'm cold weather man. I'm, com I'm comfortable in the, in the 30s. All right, but so I'm going to come back. Please take yes. over. And so, you know, I think Thomas, uh, Thomas has teed this up all very well. Uh, also, looking around the room, I know many, uh, many of you do not necessarily need a Bitcoin mining 101. Um, that said, you know, I think one of the things definitely to the point of this whole like education as a whole is I think, you know, you never, uh, you never get tired or at least I never get tired of going back to Bitcoin fundamentals. So we still will be going through this, uh, you know, a brief presentation talking about some of the key important things, um, that I think are essential to understanding mining, but this is also, you know, an AMA. So anyone has any questions. Uh, about anything, not not just necessarily with like what the content stand for? of the slides. Ask me anything. No. Uh, not not only with respect to like the uh, the content of the slides, but if the slide brings to mind, or if something we're talking about brings to mind a much more complicated, technical, nuanced question, that's all fair game too, right? Like th I think the the point here is just to go back to the fundamentals when we talk about mining. What are we really talking about? What's really going on? What are miners really doing? And then using that as a uh, it's kind of just a way to also stimulate other, other questions people might have and foster discussion, so. Uh, two notes to make. I'm on the board of Stronghold Digital Mining. Um, Drew is a president at Cathedra. None of this is going to be, uh, 
what MMPI. This is an MMPI, and basically the reason it's all the deck is Cathedra. Uh, it says Cathedra on it. The reason the deck's all in like Cathedra format is because this is a. I, I've used variations of this deck for different teachings basically over the last like two years. So forgive me for recycling, uh, but this is. Uh, this One is of the reasons that we're recycling, I'll pump, I'll pump your your bags a little bit on this. I I, I do think that some of the very best educational materials and. Um, you know, sort of the explanations around the why of Bitcoin mining. The material that Cathedra pumps out on a regular basis is and has been, and I have a high degree of confidence will continue to be like it's been exceptional. So that's very sweet of you. You're uh, a very sweet boy. You always have been, no matter what they say on Google reviews. I love that. Um, all right. So jumping in. Yeah, please leave us a good Google review if you get a chance. <laughs> yeah, I've I've, uh, I've used all of my NIMS. Google is now tracking my every move because they they're realizing that I'm responsible for about these 100. These bots. Google reviews mean a lot to us. We want to bury the other ones that we've received over the over the last year or so. And just in case anyone's curious, Thomas is a monster, uh, but he's a very sweet monster. He's a friendly monster, just like Casper the friendly ghost. Uh, but anyway, all right. So jumping into the some of the the layout of this of this presentation, what we'll be talking about today. We're going to start with just Bitcoin mining 101. What is it? Uh, obviously, given the fact that this is a uh, all of our mining meetups are in New York City. New York City is home probably to the most to the highest number of publicly traded Bitcoin miners in North America. Uh, this meetup has always sort of had a a slight bias towards called like the business and the finance side of, of Bitcoin mining. Many other great meetups around the country have focused on other aspects, but that, that's sort of been, uh, in a way, our sweet spot. So we will be talking about uh, Bitcoin mining economics. We'll also be talking about trends in Bitcoin mining. Uh, but then, most importantly, we're also here to just, you know, if we have questions, we want to talk about specific concepts in more detail, we can do that too. Let's go. All right, so to start at the beginning, what is Bitcoin? I think most people in this room don't really need this, this primer, but uh, it's still helpful to just start from, from first principles. So one way to think about Bitcoin is it's a digital commodity with a finite supply whose ownership is recorded on a distributed ledger that we call the blockchain. So Bitcoin has a couple different uses of the word. Uh, capital B Bitcoin would be the protocol in the network, uh, and lowercase b Bitcoin would be uh, the asset, the unit of account, um, the, 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 the unit that is being transferred on this ledger. So enter Bitcoin mining. The network is maintained and secured by miners, this distributed group of economically motivated actors, and the process of mining is what keeps the network in consensus, right? Um, this is just very, very TLDR, but we'll get more into kind of the importance of Bitcoin mining, uh, namely the, its importance with respect to uh, issuance of new Bitcoin, uh, new Bitcoins, in this uh, in this presentation, do you want care to care to comment on uh, on Bitcoin before we move on to uh Bitcoin is just such a pain in the ass. Um, so I'll be the pain in the ass <laughs> at this point. Like when we when we look at a word like consensus, that can mean a couple of different things, right? So like miners are effectively organizing. So when a, when a miner is doing <clears throat> is they're basically entering into a raffle or like a lottery. And if they're correct, right, if they find the number, the nonce, they are awarded the right to construct the next block and then broadcast that, propagate that to the, the rest of the network, right? They still are then subject to the rules of the network. So consensus, my only nit on this slide would be consensus is actually derived by the nodes that then validate 
the work a minor does. A minor is doing a lot of work, and if everybody is acting, you know, in accordance with the rules, everything is good, and this is true, and this is, this is a technicality in a knit, and that's where I sort of self-describe myself as a bit of a pain in the ass. Although, but if there is a reason, I think this sentence is true insofar as uh, the protocol agrees to, uh, like nodes agree to follow whatever chain has the most accumulated work. And so the no it is the nodes looking to the miners, looking to the most, uh, the, the, uh, the chain tip that has the most proof of work. Like it is the Nakamoto consensus powered by proof of work that allows there to be consensus, but you are—you absolutely correct that this technically this this could this is this is not the best way to articulate it because nodes. You're right. It no, is there's the nothing wrong with this. It's just consensus is just such a loaded word. Yes. You also have consensus s y s. You have like you know lots of lots of like things. Our, our favorite uh, shitcoin uh, conglomerate here in New York. Sure. Uh, all right, but but th that is an excellent point. And so in getting to exactly what the miners are doing, which is, comes up next slide here. So it, again, just. In the simplest terms, how do miners do this? They use specialized hardware and, and energy to build Bitcoin's blockchain. Um, here we see a little ASIC working on the new, the next block. Of course, this is many. This from many moons ago. As those those will note that there's seven handle on these block heights and not an eight. Um, but so this is the good TLDR numbers. of what miners are doing. Very good numbers. Uh, but so what the miners actually are doing? Thomas mentioned how miners iterate through a nonce, and so. What, what miners really are doing, and I think uh, we, we use analogies like the uh, lottery, like rolling a, die, uh, rolling a pair of die or like a set of die, really what miners are doing is throwing inputs into a cryptographic hash function. And so I think understanding cryptographic hash functions is essential to really understanding mining. You know, I, I think um, like th this, is, this is like the, the rigorous reality of what Bitcoin miners are doing. They are throwing inputs both in the form of uh, you know, block information, transactions, block header information, but then also some inputs that they might have control over and they can iterate through in order to uh, produce the output of a nonce, or the, so the output of a hash function that satisfies certain requirements. So I, I actually really like this slide. What you have here is, so a hash function is basically like, I don't know, it's, a, it's almost like a package machine, right? And there's an encryption algorithm or something like that. The hash function essentially follows some sort of algorithm. In this case, it's SHA-256. And on the inputs, it could be anything, right? It could be Shakespeare's Hamlet. And it could be, you know, uh, American Psycho the movie as a data file or whatever. And no matter what you put in to, you know, this process, if you follow SHA-256, what you're going to get is 256 alphanumeric characters that are unique that represent this thing. It doesn't mean that that thing is able to play the movie or like spit out all of the, the words or anything, but if you put it through the reverse of this mechanism, you will get that thing and it'll be unique, right? So you're basically getting a piece of code that is an encrypted file that represents that thing. So a PDF goes in as you know uh, Shakespeare, and then you get a line of 256 alphanumerical characters or whatever. If you put it back through the exact same thing, you're going to get Shakespeare out. Is effectively what's happening here. So 
with the hash function, as far as Bitcoin mining is concerned, when you're when you're running the algorithm, you're looking for a specific number that the network is essentially like searching for. And that's how you win the lottery. That's how you get the reward, the block size subsidy. I'm, I'm sorry, the block, the block reward, the block subsidy, which now is, you know, six and, six and a quarter. Six and a quarter? Uh, I, w I wish it was six and a quarter for longer. Six and a quarter for longer. It's going to get half soon. Uh, it used to be 50. Um, plus the cumulative transaction fees. So this is a very important like, aspect of, of, of Bitcoin, and it's also a malleable aspect, right? We can make this more difficult. It doesn't have to be SHA-256. It can become harder. It can become easier. Now, now we're talking about hard fork land. Yes. Yes. So they will use a, a scheme called a Merkle tree, where basically they condense all of the transactions uh, in that block into a single hash, and the, the number of bits of the of the um, of the Merkle tree root is uh, it escapes me right now. But if you, here, I'm actually going to pull up a visual aid right now for this because I think um, it's a very important point. Jimmy, can you pull that up? What so, so Atlantis this is, actually exist? So this is what's this is what's going on basically. Like you basically have all these uh, you have a bunch of the all the transactions, you can think of them as these leaves at the bottom, and we basically condense them through a, an agreed upon hashing protocol that basically lumps the you know, creates hashes of transactions and uh, hashes of pairs of transactions and basically finds a way to condense them all the way to just a single hash. And so of course if you were to change any one of the transactions that hash would completely change as well. So using the Merkle tree root, by condensing all transactions, using hash functions to condense them all into a single hash, what you've basically done is you've created a, a piece of data that if any of the, uh, the data that was used to create that hash changes, that, that uh, Merkle tree root completely changes as well. But to your point, that way you're not throwing in all of this data, like the entire you know, size of the block. You condense it down into something very narrow. And so miners, like that's part of the block header. But what miners are actually doing is they're throwing the, um, they're basically using the block header inputs as opposed to all of the transactions themselves as part of the, uh, the hashing inputs that we talked about on this slide over here. Let me just move this over here. Ba boom, boom. So, uh, and I think... Yeah, actually, so, so yeah, this is um, over here, and I, I, there, there's a, you can look this up, but basically you see the, there's only a, a small set of actual inputs that are basically not changing, that the miner is not changing with each attempt. They're only really changing the nonce. Of course, there's a little bit of nuance there because you, it is possible as a miner, especially with network difficulty now, you can run out of nonce space um, uh, when you're basically trying to find the next block. Like you could take a certain block header, you could run through every possible nonce given the amount of bits that a nonce can be in Bitcoin. Uh, th there's only so many numbers basically that you can iterate through. And then if you still don't find the block, you basically need to change something else in the block header uh, in order to, uh, to do this. Similarly, pools will, uh, they send out a block template. So what miners, oh really boy. What, what miners really are doing when they're hashing, uh, they're, they're basically receiving a block header from the pool and they're iterating through that block header to basically try to find uh, a val like a nonce that creates a valid block. But 
the pool isn't sending the same block header to everyone and basically letting them all duplicate their work. What the pool will often do is uh, make small changes to the block header data in order to uh, basically make sure that every like miners are looking in different parts of the mathematical space. Now, interestingly, because this is all probabilistic, no matter where a miner is, like the next number that a miner is looking towards, like the next nonce they're iterating through, always has an equal probability of being valid. And so, uh, even if the, even if there was being duplicate work, like it would be less efficient. Um, but you know, each subsequent nonce still has just as high probability, the same probability of being valid. So. Uh, I, I just like spewed a bunch of like 301 level stuff at you, but um, maybe it was helpful. Okay. This is why I like to play the Powerball, because you never know. Yes. Is it possible? Is it possible with a pool? that two miners will find the same valid block. Was that your question? A valid block, yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. Um, now, now Comes pools, down to propagation. Yeah, exactly. Well, the pool probably receives one of them at a slightly different time. And I'm sure each, each pool, I don't know actually, uh, like many of the pools don't um, open source all of the way the, they, they kind of operate, but I'm sure different pools have different rules too about how, well, that ex exact block selection. Like you have a tie. Yeah. So like I, one good explanation that I had for it is that the, the bleeding edge of the blockchain, right, the Bitcoin blockchain, looks like this. There's like a lot of variations, but they collapse over time. And you have like a couple of like competing things. And there are a lot of things that go into that. You, you can have multiple miners that find the next correct block. But it's always a competition. And the competition is not to nece necessarily find the nonce in and of itself. It's also to convince the, next, the, the, the rest of the network that I am the right winner of the next block. For the pool, it becomes more complicated. But they're playing the same game, just on a slightly more like consolidated yeah. level. I, I would imagine the way it works with pools, because like thinking about what it would mean to actually have them both arrive at the exact same point in time, one, I imagine it depends on like how granular pools are looking at some of this information. So I, I would say it's probably unlikely, given how granular they're looking at it, it's probably unlikely that at the exact same like nanosecond or whatever the minimum. Well, if the question is individual pool constituents, yeah. that's still shared amongst the pool, right? Like, you know, a winner in the pool is still like a benefit to the pool, yeah. depending on the pool, right? Pay, paying out on the actual or the expected, that's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's for actually, sure. That's actually... So, like, if, if, if it's paying out on the actual, like, you know, Yahoo, it, uh, like, if, if it's paying out on the expected, like, a marginal difference, like, you know, I, I took the question to mean, like, you know, from, like, a self-mining perspective. Well, actually, yeah, but, uh, so, and so, I guess maybe to synthesize all this, right, so you have, you have different, there are different layers to this question. One, what happens if a self-miner does this, uh, if, you know, two self-miners, Fine. Um, We're getting deep. This is the problem with all of this. But, but I think, but this is, I think, this is the, the great thing to discuss. This is, yeah, this is good. So, so you have two, say, two independent miners, both find blocks at the same time. It's a question of, as Thomas said, propagation. Whichever one gets the majority of the pool first, really, whichever one uh, gets to the miner, whichever the next block is, will basically determine which one has the advantage of winning that chain split. 
Now that is basically the same as it, the the answer to that is the same as the question of what happens if two miners, um, uh, basically, two mining pools, sorry, find two uh, the next block at the same time. It's the same question. Uh, th this particular question Don't cross is, more the about, stream. is more about within the pool, uh, within the same pool. In which case. Most pools these days don't actually reward the individual miner that wins. So the pool's probably like, look, we found, we found one that wins. Everyone's getting paid. We're all good. Uh, and so it, it doesn't really matter. But I'm sure they, they, there could be uh, differences between the two blocks that were validated. And so I'm sure the pool has some way of choosing exactly which one. I would guess whichever one arrives even marginally sooner. Or maybe it's whichever one has higher fees is the one they propagate. We'll get to Bitmain. That's, but <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. This is, this is how you end up with chain splits. This is how you end up with orphan blocks. But as, as we discussed, the way Bitcoin mining works is whichever chain tip has the most accumulated proof of work, like the, the most amount of computational power that's gone into it, is the one that nodes agreed to accept. And so yeah. I, I noticed that we had some, we've definitely we've gone down a, a rabbit hole here. I'm just going to do a quick review because we've had some new folks walk in. So just want to make sure that we're, we're all like level setting. Um, in yeah, terms cool, of context. cool it, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna cool it. All right. So this is for those <laughs> we'll, of you who just we'll, we'll us. We'll get to we'll get to the question. I I, I know I know. We're gonna get to <laughs> to, to quantum resistance. Just hash let functions. us go through the process. Let us have our 101. <laughs> let us let us cook. Let us cook. All right. So so we're going back. This is Bitcoin mining 101. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to PubKey. Uh, zooming out at a very high level. Bitcoin mining for dummies. Bitcoin miners use specialized hardware and energy to build Bitcoin's blockchain. Um, in doing this, the, the, the literal thing that miners are doing is hashing. Hashing refers to the cryptographic hash function uh, that is used in many areas. This is how your passwords are stored. You know, your, uh, JP Morgan Chase isn't storing your password in an Excel file somewhere. They're storing a hash function, a way of randomizing any input into a r random output of fixed length that you can't you know, solve the input for. Um, and this is what Bitcoin miners are doing. They're doing the same thing. They are putting in information around the block of transactions into a cryptographic hash function in hopes of producing an output that is lower than the difficulty target on the network. It, yeah. Um, I want to take back my earlier explanation. All they're doing is printing out lottery tickets. And sometimes I think about the random number generator in the New York late, like, state lottery machine because sometimes if I get like a $10 Powerball, I'll get like repeat numbers and I'll think about the random number generator in that machine and like what's the likelihood that I've gotten three 12s out of five tickets. It's unlikely and it's like super rigged. But all they're trying to do, a Bitcoin miner is just trying to guess a large number for the right to write the next block. And the funny thing about those lottery random number generators is that they actually have a very, very small person writing them all by hand. I uh, just want to have Peter Todd in here one day uh, talking about that. But that's another thing. Let's that's go. another story. Uh, Mr. Tailcoin. So uh, uh, that brings us next to 
proof of work and the difficulty adjustment. So we talked about how miners are looking for looking to use these hash functions. They are hashing to create an output. Oh yes, in the back. Yes. It's a nonce. It's a hash of the previous block. Oh no, no. I think you mean the like in terms of what uh, makes the output valid, like what makes the output correct. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this slide here. So it's an impeccably timed question. Uh, the, the, the parameter that we are solving for for that output is the difficulty. Um, basically, an arbitrary number that uh, it, it creates a hurdle. And, and, and we, we can get you know, precisely into this, but basically, you are trying to create a number that is, uh, you're trying to create an output for the hash function that is less than a certain difficulty target. And that, that number is arbitrary. That difficulty is arbitrary, and it changes um, uh, depending on the amount of time it's taken to mine the last 2016 blocks. So they basically set intervals called epochs. So every 2016 blocks, the, the network looks back and says, all right, on average, how long did it take for us to mine these blocks? Uh, okay, it's supposed to take 10 minutes on average is, is, the t is the target. So it's supposed to take 10 minutes. If it takes on average over that last epoch a little less than... Uh, uh, the 10 minutes. Then a little bit of context. A little bit of context. Right now. Why 10 minutes? So when Satoshi wrote the spec for the Bitcoin protocol, the block size was about one megabyte, right? Each block is one megabyte of transaction data. Based on current network standards, to propagate one megabyte worth of data globally, and get it to a threshold where you could be certain that like 90 to 95% of the entire world is gonna stay in sync for this, it takes roughly 10 minutes, 10 minutes. So 10 minutes is that sweet spot. Sometimes the network is gonna have more computational power to find blocks faster, right? Sometimes it's gonna be slower. So if more people are trying to mine Bitcoin and more computational resources are looking for this number, for a period of time, you're going to have things, you're going to have blocks propagated at a much faster cadence than those, you know, 10 minutes or so. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit slower. But that 10-minute uh, cadence was the sweet spot for the propagation of the Bitcoin blockchain, new blockchains, uh, uh, new blocks appended to the end of the blockchain. So there's an adjustment that's been built in to Bitcoin software where roughly every two weeks, which translates into Bitcoin time as 2000, 2016, 2016 blocks, blocks yeah. there's going to be an adjustment up or down depending on how quickly it's finding blocks, right? So if it's 15 minutes to find the next block, that's a little slow. Difficulty is going to come down. If it's five minutes to find the next block, that's a little too fast. It's going to become harder. The difficulty adjustment is going to increase. What we have seen historically is an increase in difficulty adjustments. More hash rate, more computational resources have been committed to finding blocks, which means it becomes harder to find blocks. But that cadence, that drumbeat, still strives for 10 minutes. And it's not 10 minutes perfectly, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, but that's the like baseline that we're looking for. No, I think that that is very well said. Um, and yeah, so the, 
that is basically the output that, that they're looking for. It's based on uh, the difficulty. Yes. So there are some uh, some like guardrails, call it, uh, both on the on the uh, up, uh, I think, to the upside and to the downside. And this this I think became particularly relevant in the uh, the great uh, ban of hash rate from China back in uh, 2021, was it? <laughs> yeah. uh, and you can actually you can see this right here. It's actually a much and this is a historical network hash rate. Um, but I believe it, uh, and and I guess in the audience will keep me honest here. I believe hash the uh, difficulty adjustment cannot uh, decrease by more than 75%, uh, and I believe it cannot increase more than 300%. 200%, okay. Yeah, so over, uh, not, not in one difficulty adjustment, but o over the long run, yes, exactly. So, and, and I think th this, this chart, which shows the, uh, the historical computational power on the Bitcoin network, just from inception, January nine, uh, January two thousand nine, to uh, to where we are today, you basically see that like on the scale that we think about now of hundreds of exahash, uh, the network was basically like a rounding error up until even twenty seventeen, and so um, this is, and there's no reason to to believe that this sort of trend won't increase, or sorry, won't continue over time. Um, Yeah, so so I think it's a great it's a great question. Uh, just to sort of in, in summary, the uh, hard to answer. What are the the po positive and, and negative externalities of, of network hash rate being this large? You know, I actually think with respect to network security, uh, my personal view is that uh, it's not so much what the number, what the hash rate is. It's basically what the active hash rate is relative to idle hash rate, um, because because th that's sort of a proxy for like the 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 cost of fifty one percenting it fifty one percent attacking the network. Which, for those of you who maybe have not heard the term 51% attack, what it basically refers to is uh, I'm going to mess with Bitcoin's consensus and mess with this process of new blocks being created by taking control of the majority of the hash rate on the network. And then I could do a variety of things with that. I could either you know, buy you know, uh, a statue of myself for, for a billion dollars and then quickly rewind the blockchain once I get the statue so that way um, you know, I don't end up not having to pay. That's called a double spend attack. Uh, another thing you could do is just publish empty blocks just to show everyone that like, hey, look, I've attacked the Bitcoin network and I can do whatever I want. Um, so I think that, that that's one like one positive externality to your point is network security is pretty, pretty high because all these economic, economically motivated miners are plugging computers in. You could make the case that one negative externality is that it's, it's people can't mine at home anymore. I think that's fine. Everyone can still run a node at home. And as we saw in 2017, node operators still exert very large influence and a lot of power on the network, even if they don't uh, control all the computational power. Or um, any. Or any. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of power in signaling like, where the, the users are going to go. So you know, there was a corporate push. I highly recommend a book called The Block Size War by Jonathan Beer of... Uh, Bitmex Research. Bitmex Research, and thank you. Years. Yes, um, which is a, a fantastic look into, like, you know, a really, a bit of a preamble to the fight 
right? Like that was like the first battle. I think that there are, you know, subsequent ones to come. Um, I think this is a really good question. It depends on your perspective. Um, public mining companies in the United States play by different rules than other mining operations. And I think that there is still a bit of a uh, reconciliation between these, right? You have people that are mining Bitcoin that are doing so not for, you know, uh, pure profit, right, in dollar terms. Like, there's not an energy arbitrage. You have hobbyists that want to be part of the network. You have nation states that are trying to gain access to a network um, for reasons that, you know, uh, if they're shut off of, like, SWIFT or something like that. Um, you know, the Bitcoin protocol is a very powerful tool. So people use it for lots of different reasons. Uh, and I think that we're still reconciling like what that means from a business perspective, you know, particularly as it pertains to you know, the mining industry. And it's a very dynamic industry and it's a very soul-crushing industry in some ways, like you know, over time. Yeah, it's kind of like hospitality, like welcome to PubKeep. So. Bitcoin mining and bars <laughs> in New York. I think we're, we're drawn to the, the worst <laughs> business models in the world. Also uh, the best ones. Did you, do you have a question? How do local miners combine resources to have a viable operation? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I, I think this ties into me, not not to uh, not to be like a, you know uh, a total slide bitch here, but I do think I do think kind of maybe it's helpful to like talk a little bit. This this slide I uh, back to the deck put, put together many moons ago <laughs> as uh, yeah as a self-loathing Bitcoin mining investment banker. Uh, but no, I basically. Um, <laughs> This is a slide. Management I, Consulting 101. I, I put this together back in, in my, uh, I used to work for a company called Galaxy Digital where we basically were, uh, tried to find, uh, we were sh shaking every hand, kissing every baby, trying to raise $300 million to build the first hyperscale data center uh, for Bitcoin mining in Texas. Um, RIP didn't happen, but I think it's a good slide nonetheless. So anyway. What does what hyperscale you, mean? What are the uh, big? Uh, so w w you, need, you need two things uh, if you want to be a Bitcoin miner, like talking about the, the brass tacks of it. You need these specialized computers, these ASICs, and you also need electricity. So, uh, and like the main reason for that is we talked about uh, what, what miners are actually doing is hashing. Um, to, be, to, to hash uh, competitively, you basically need uh, the latest computers in order to do this. Now, it's very easy to buy these computers. You can buy them online now. But the main cost of running these computers is electricity. These, these machines are designed to convert electricity into hashes in the Bitcoin network uh, as efficiently as possible. And so you could still mine with, I could mine with this laptop. But This I is a Scarface problem, though. Like, first you get, what was it? The, first you get the, the money, then you get the power and then you're mining bitcoin like you have to keep <laughs> you have to keep all of the equipment happy right yes. like it's not about having the electricity and the equipment like then you have to like treat it well but, and make but, sure it's not too hot and not too cold there's not too much dust like you're checking part, in on it you have to have a computer science degree to unplug it and plug it back in i'm i'm living proof that you don't need the comp side degree to do that but but like for, for the most part 
you need the S9, the AK47, the big one. The S9, the S9 was like the perfect, this the perfect partner. Like, Say hello you know, to my that, little that, friend. That thing would go through wars with you. And, and but so so to this point, you do need to keep the computers happy, and we we like to keep our ASICs happy. But um, typically, the real bottleneck is electricity. So when we talk, and this is relevant to tie it back to the question. Um, you, you know, these days, uh, a the majority of the, ne of the network is using really efficient uh, computers that are plugged into very low cost power, much lower cost than like, you know, what we pay in, uh, in our New York apartments. I remember I once tried to mine Bitcoin <laughs> using an S9 in my New York City apartment, paying 30 cent per kilowatt hour electricity over in Brooklyn. And I can tell you that it was not a money making endeavor. But yeah, you probably got um, that broomstick on the from like down below, like turn that fucking thing off. <laughs> it, was my, it was my space heater. I was it was during COVID. I was renting my room out as a sauna for anyone that wanted to come. Uh, no, but it basically so the the electricity is is really I think the name of the game. So talking about like working with other all, other miners in order to like small scale miners to basically stay alive to pool resources stay alive. You you basically you need both of these. Basics these days are pretty commoditized. Anyone and their mother can buy them online. Uh, you can get ripped off and buy them online, but you can still buy them online and not get ripped off. Um, but it's finding the cheap electricity that's really important. So there are a lot of small subscale mining operations. Uh, many of our, our beloved you know friends of the bar uh, have like pooled together their resources and have uh, what by industry standards would be considered very small mining operations. You know less than 100 kilowatts. Um, uh, and and but. Nonetheless, they, they grouped together, and they still had to go find the cheap power somewhere else, uh, which is, chances are, probably nowhere fucking near New York City. Yes, sir. Can we go back to the uh, what you about the attack? Sure. No, uh, so 51% attack is actually something that's a little bit more complicated than that. Like, it, it's not a pure 51%, right? Like, for, for Bitcoin, and this goes back to the comment that I had on, like, what consensus is. Like, when, when miners are propagating blocks, it, it's incumbent on nodes to actually validate whether or not this is true. Um, a 51% attack in Bitcoin is not triggered at 51% or 45%. We don't approach a danger zone. Like, we can be well into, you know, a malicious actor, I think, deep into the 60s or 70s um, without any real harm to the network. And the analogy that I like to use is, you know, um, miners can launch sort of a Godzilla attack, but not a Goldfinger attack, right? Like a miner that is able to capture in excess of 51% or more is able to potentially destroy the network for a period of time, but they're not able to necessarily like um, invalidate uh, the value of coins for their benefit. It's, it's a destructive attack. It's not something that they're able to recoup the value from. And that is one of the like, you know, balance of incentives where it's much more profitable because you're also talking about an expenditure in CapEx to, to, to get the equipment to do this, but then the ongoing cost of the power and then the overhead, we're talking about massive sums of money. And I think we're, you know, there is an ebb and flow to this. And you have mining pools as a component and the centralization of hash rate going through mining pools. There's always a concern there because it comes with different concerns. Is it an existential threat to Bitcoin? Not necessarily. Are we at the point where individual mining operations 
could launch a Godzilla or a Goldfinger attack? Not really. At the moment, like things could change, but like you know, it's not a massive. I, I'm not concerned. Yeah, double spends are a little bit different. Yeah. Oh, I'd yeah, look, so double spends are a little bit good different. One, I'd pay a billion. <laughs> He's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. But, but this is a different... So I think that this is a fantastic this this is a fantastic question and it's a little bit of a tangent right like it's the difference between lightning and you know on-chain payments so for example pubkey we shut off on-chain payments because you know it can take an excess of 10 minutes to settle sometimes if you know there's a lot of backlog in the mempool the mempool individual mempools whatever like it can take a long time for uh, transactions to settle. From the perspective of a bar that is trying to close a tab or something like that, that's not tenable. So it's all about the perspective and meeting people where they are and what are like the realities of the technology and the processes and what people are expecting in each individual transaction, right? So from the mining perspective, Right, a double spend attack, like there is a gap in that. And the double spend attack is always the concern of the recipient because that person can just say, I gave you the double bag of, tra uh, of cash, like give me the Bitcoin, and it's just like toilet paper and I have the Bitcoin. And they like run away or whatever Idiot. with like an open dime. Idiot. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, but, <laughs> like, but I think like related to this, uh, maybe a couple things. Uh, first, back to your point, the real world issues, like if, if I steal a billion dollars of Bitcoin for you, I've like faked my own death uh, so fucking fast, and I've and I've like Quadriga been, guy, and I've been planning this for years. And my like, favorite. Catch me like you'll never see me again. I'm living out in some obscure. I'm like I'm I'm living with like in an uninhabited island, but you'll never find me. No, you yes. can do it once with yeah. one person. You could do it a couple of times with no, a couple people, but like it's like it's gonna catch up to you. Yes, very true. It's like. It is very true, yes. Yeah, it'd be very, very difficult to pull off the repeated double spends. Unless um, you're the mafia. Unless you're the mafia. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. But going back also to, to, <laughs> to maybe Thomas's point, I just wanted to... The to real world problems never go away. Like, at the, the end of the they, day. They never, uh, you can, unfortunately, they don't. Uh, technology doesn't solve all social problems. And, and just one quick point, uh, just to, to context, but contextualize Thomas's point around the... Um, our Explain what miners, I meant. Our large miners getting Clean anywhere close to being post. able to 51% attack the network. So, the, like, maybe the largest mining farm in the world right now uses maybe uh, close to one gigawatt worth of power. Like, roughly, you know, 700 megawatts. Largest Bitcoin mining farm in the world. The... Um, uh, network as a whole right now is estimated to be around 16 gigawatts. So, you know, we're, we're still talking like, you, you're, you're still a small fraction. Even if you're the largest Bitcoin uh, miner in the world using a metric fuck ton of power, you are still a long, long ways away from uh, being able to 51% attack the network. Do they break this down? Uh, in, in which, uh, by countries? Yeah. 
Where's they, North Korea on this? Yeah, so they, they don't. Uh, so they, they, I mean, unfortunately, there's some issues. That one, they haven't updated this in a long time. Uh, this as of December 2021. Uh, but also, they, they I don't get, see them. Look at they are get they all even this on this map. Yeah, it'd be somewhere over here. Where is it? But the, but the issue is that they. Um, yeah, North Korea would be right here, I think. Oh, uh, but because they, they get right. all this they <laughs> get all this data from. They, they get all this data from um, uh, surveys, so it's imprecise, but... <laughs> when it's gray. So your question. For the record, he really liked my analogy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Team, let's make sure to take this point out in post. <laughs> oh goodness, RBF replaced by fee as opposed to zero conf. Um, this has been a this is still an active issue. So replaced by fee is the ability to basically amend a transaction that is submitted to miners. Right, so I want to send, you know, Thomas wants to pay a tab at PubKey on-chain, and my um, transaction fee is insufficient. It's not getting picked up. It's sitting there for too long. I want to replace by fee. I want to accelerate the, uh, you know, um, the, 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 the validation, right, the, the, the processing, the settlement of that transaction. I can replace the fee, increase the fee so that it can continue. Um, other people want um, to sort of be in the position where you can accept a zero confirmation uh, transaction so yes. that that is considered like valid effectively. And both of these are, are completely at odds. Like what's the miner's perspective here? You know, the, the, the right way to think about um, the miner is that we are very, very dumb, very, very simple very, very dumb people who do one thing and we think about one thing. We think about plug ASIC in computer, like com plug computer in electricity. Um, we know think after that. Uh, this is, this is uh, yeah, miners are, are very, very simple minded. Smooth brain, some would say. So I, I think, I, I think the, the called zero conf to like the six confirmation sort of, uh, or you know, wh however many X confirmation, um, that, I think that's much more relevant to like merchants and people who are, know, running nodes, and maybe if I'm running my own store, if I have like a instance of BTC Pay Server, how m how many confirmations would I want to set up? I myself would, you know, for for my OnlyFans, sure, I'd give zero conf. Uh, but you know, if I'm if I am going to be selling, uh, you would not if, if I'm for your OnlyFans. If I'm going to be selling a statue for uh, for a billion dollars, I might want some confirmations <laughs> this on that mustache. And I, but I think this is like one of the key, the, one of the really important things about uh, you know about Bitcoin versus. The, the fiat system, and there are many such differences, you know, in, including permanence, but, but one of them is basically that there are no sort of like givebacks, and a lot of these things are more probabilistic, where like even after 10 confirmations, like probabilistically speaking, you're fine, but it's not like the bank is giving you like, you know, has written something down saying, I promise the money's yours. It's also never perfect, right? Like probabilistically, like it's fine, but there is always a chance that you can have a deep reorg, right? At, at a certain point, um, you know, I, I do think that zero conf is, you know, fine-ish. Uh, like one confirmation, like is fine-ish. And this has been 
you know, uh, deep in the nerd wars. There's been a lot of flame wars over this. Um, I think that there is some validity to the mathematics, like backing it, but, you know, I think we've also wasted a lot of time in terms of, you know, what's going to help, you know, propagate the real world usage of Bitcoin, uh, arguing over, you know, uh, the nuances here. Oh, it did. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 in so uh, just to, to articulate that in the mic. So, one max difficulty increase is three hundred percent, and during any given epic. But also, I think importantly, you know, just the br the broader issue of the network is like things are sort of becoming more mature now. Yeah. It's it's uh, people are maybe comfortable with less comps because um, the network's more secure. I think it's also while we're on this point of OPSEC, and we're gonna we're gonna get back to call it mining 101 in just a sec. But while we're on the point of OPSEC, it is just worth pointing out to everyone in this room that the majority of Bitcoin that gets stolen is not through double spend. It is always through social attacks. It's through through phishing. 100%. Through through people through you send me one Bitcoin, I send you two next day schemes. You know, just be very mindful. OPSEC's important. Two FA. All these things, privacy best practices, uh, because that's how your Bitcoin's going to get stolen, not you know by buying a uh, a billion dollar bust that you get double spent on. Um, so again, you know, I think if it's a good bust, I think that's a very very good and important point. These are legacy concerns, right? Like you know, we 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 were talking about these things back in 2013, 2014, when hash rate, like you know, you kind of have it here, but like look, we're, we're what even 2013, is that? What even 2014, is like, it's a completely different ball game now. So to continue to harp on the same things, to like really dig your heels in, we're living in a completely different paradigm. Things are accelerating so quickly, and it's hard for people to adapt, right? Like it's there are not many people that are just so hopelessly addicted to this, like they are with reality TV or or, or something else. The but like market, the, the things that we were concerned about two years ago are not necessarily relevant right now. And that is a very difficult thing for individuals, let alone a community, to adapt to. No, I think it's very well said, yes. So a tremendous amount of money. So the simpler, the simpler tremendous. Math, the, yeah, the simpler math is not to think about like is the, there there isn't currently a market to lease that amount of hash rate like in real time. No, no, no. But it, he actually framed it in the right way. It it, it was like the attack for like ten minutes, yeah. let alone like hours, days no, to have it be impactful. So that so the uh, I guess yeah. What I'm so the infrastructure doesn't currently exist to basically pull off that attack, but to kind of to answer it in two separate ways, because I think there are two ways we can quantify this separately. So one would be, if I wanted to buy 51% of the machines right now at 450x a hash, how much would that cost? Um, so if you did that, uh, let's assume you're doing, you're buying like S19J Pros, which are basically like the majority of the network right now. And let's, I, I don't know, we can, 
we can call it five bucks, we can call it 10 bucks a tee. Legacy price was 10 bucks a tee, but maybe now with the S21s coming out, it's a little bit less. So let's just say, let's keep it simple. Let's say it is 10 bucks a tee. That's around $4.5 billion. Uh, if it's five bucks a tee, that's uh, $2.25 billion to buy those machines. Now, one other way to answer the question would be to think about maybe, say, say there is some market, or say I don't even need the marketplace. I can just go talk to some guys, some miners, and they'll just sell it to me. If I give them a 10% premium to whatever revenue they'd earn from a pool, they'll sell me their hash rate, or they'll lease me their hash rate for 10 minutes, right? So whatever their revenue is for the 10-minute period. A little um, nice hash. Exactly, something like that. So you sell the 450X hash, you know, times 51%. Uh, so that means you need, uh, let's see, 450 times 0.51. So that's, you need 230 hash roughly in order to pull 51% attack on the network. Okay, so current hash price is around $70 per pet hash. So, let's see, times 70. So it's, yeah, th so that's uh, roughly, see, you, it's basically, that amount of hash rate translates to roughly $16 million uh, for a given, in a given day. And so if you're talking about only 10 minutes, it's divided by 24. Uh, let's see, 16 divided by 24 divided by 10. Quick calculator math, I think that's only around uh, $67,000. If you could pull it off for 10 minutes, around $67,000. Well, they are. Uh, but typically, they're doing it for much more smooth-brained reasons. Typically, they're doing it because they're stealing power from the private sector, and the people in power want more money, um, as opposed to the uh, like adversarial, like, we want to kill Bitcoin. Um, like, the, the U.S. government could, doesn't seem to have, uh, the Chinese government could, doesn't seem to have. Now, of course, these nation states could always be trying to co-opt the private sector, but every nation state that I know of, famously, the king of Bhutan's come out in the last year. They've been, you know, doxxed as mining Bitcoin. Typically, they're always doing it because they have cheap power or power they can steal, uh, and this is just a way for them to line their pockets. And actually, this, this ties into one point that we, ha we haven't discussed yet. We haven't talked about any of the economics of Bitcoin mining. So there's one, there's one last thing to talk about, I think, with respect to uh, the miners and what they're doing. And what Please hold your questions for Drew to get through the rest of his deck. We, we, only, need to get, we only need to get through this section because I've, give, I've given up hoping the rest of the deck, and I'll, I'll send it to whoever wants it anyway, but it's okay. Uh, the key thing is that miners receive revenue uh, from, from two uh, sources. One is new Bitcoin, newly issued Bitcoin. This is referred to as the block subsidy. And uh, the second is transaction fees. Because you can only fit so many transactions or really only so much data in a, in a block of Bitcoin uh, on the blockchain, uh, you basically uh, need to sometimes pay fees in order to have your transactions prioritized so that um, you, you know, miners are incentivized to take your, your Bitcoin. So How much data is that? What's it? Three megabytes? Uh, effective? Is it three megabytes? Four me Someone keep me honest. Sorry, V bytes. <laughs> what about the weight? Well, that's the V bytes. Yeah. So it's so it is the is the one megabyte <laughs> limit. It's two. It's the one mega megabyte limit. Four but then two. the uh, but then with Segwit now you can fit roughly you can fit three uh, three in actuality you can fit like three megabytes. But they, it, I thought it was four two. Four two. I so could be wrong. You're gonna fact check me. You're gonna fact fact check me live. I'll fact check you. I'll fact check. <laughs> no, do it. We have we have we have we have, we have them. Uh, Where did one of those? I thought it was four two. Wasn't Udi Udi and the Taproot Wizards four two? I think it was four one. I thought it was four. They were talking about Oracle. 
Four? Mm-hmm. What is it? Three, epi- that's exactly right. It's four. It's four? According to River.com. According to River.com. Oh, well, I'm fucking over. Our <laughs> beloved River. Well, I mean, you're over by a little bit. You're not as far. I was saying three. Price is wrong, Bob. You're, you're close to the meme. <laughs> I guess so. I, I led with four, too. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is tough. I mean, it's going to be, we're going to see uh, pitchforks outside PubKey uh, tomorrow night when people start finding out that. Uh, I'm going to figure this out. We did it bad. Where'd that four, two come from? Yep. Yep. And so, and to, to maybe just like uh, to reiterate this point, basically, um, the w- with SegWit, uh, it, w- it was a way to basically improve the uh, called like the scalability of Bitcoin at the time. And so, what they kind of did was this cheeky little thing where they said, "We're not going to change the amount of data that can f- you know fit in um, in you know the Bitcoin blocks, but." They they created uh, they unlocked this witness data, uh, which basically took the block capacity from one megabyte to gave an additional three megabytes to four megabytes per block, um, and so yeah the the uh, that is th- that is the the answer to the question that is that is an important important piece of uh, information, um, all right. And so I guess maybe maybe taking a taking a zoom out we talked about many many things. Uh, Let's talk maybe for a second about why proof of work is good and why Bitcoin uses proof of work. Um, in my opinion, proof of work is the, uh, one of the key innovations behind Bitcoin that makes Bitcoin special is the way they applied proof of work uh, in order to um, you know, r- really make uh, the best censorship resistant peer-to-peer electronic hash system we've ever seen. So uh, benefits of proof of work. One is permissionless. Anyone anywhere in the world can plug in an ASIC. Number two, uh, this permissionlessness needs to just a more decentralized, distributed network um, versus proof of stake, which whoever holds the most of the coin, they can basically just you know control the staking power of the network, and there's some centralizing effects there. Uh, proof of work also, as we discussed, with 51% attacks uh, and double spends, it, it does provide settlement assurances, uh, and I think Bitcoin, you know, uh, what's the great Nick Carter piece from 2018? It's the settle. It's about the settlement assurances, stupid. Um, you also, uh, proof of work also provides resilience to asset price volatility in a way that proof of stake doesn't. So proof of work, if you're a Bitcoin miner, you have monthly costs. You know, you, you pay your power bill once a month. You also are buying infrastructure that has a useful life for like, you know, five, sometimes 10 years. And so even if you're unprofitable for a given month, it's unlikely that you're going to give up the whole investment. And so you're likely going to be plugged in and, and mine temporarily at a loss. And that kind of creates some resilience, even if Bitcoin price crashes because uh, exchanges are selling to cover the associated hedge funds bags. Uh, they, they, they might still, uh, the miner might still stay plugged in because, you know, they don't want to, you know, uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater. And who knows, maybe things will get better. Narrator, they didn't get all that much better, but they did get better. Um, so. So, so, and that is again different to proof of stake, where proof of stake, you can dump your bags instantly on any exchange, typically. And so, um, th- there's a little more resilience there with proof of work. And then also, proof of work, very strong track record. Um, 
No 51% attacks in Bitcoin history, I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, yeah. And so in, in sum total, you know, though proof of work does require energy, it's the energy that makes Bitcoin uh, like so secure. A couple of whoopsies. Not whoopsies, but like near misses. Kid gloves. Kid gloves. <laughs> uh, in the early days, um, G-hash. Right? Gash IO. Right. Yeah, so when, when you're... Like via when you're, some when of the Bitmain pools. 51% attack, did they? They were like... They were, there was like a collection of pools that were clearly controlled by singular entities. Like, we had kid gloves, and I think that, that's okay. That's it's like, like we're in like a growth stage. Also, as a... But like, I think it should be, it should be talked about openly. That, that's fair. Yeah, and as, as, a, as a class of 2017 maxi... Uh, you know, you basically inherit the religious doctrine post-fork war uh, from on high, uh, and, and, you know... Uh, Everything's going to be fine. There's no zeal like the newly converted, right? Um, it's like that song from Guardians of the Galaxy. Ooh, child. You watching uh, Guardians oh, of the Galaxy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Marvel movies are okay. Okay, they're, they're right for you. You're on the airplane for 10 hours. Yeah, we, so we talk about the uh, little, little censoring. I'm gonna pull up another slide just because I'm a slide bitch, and uh, this <laughs> one's a relevant visual aid, but it's also a slide that I still need to fix because it still sucks. But anyway, I so don't see Luxor on this slide. So, so as we basically, uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, they need to sponsor the mining meetup first. Uh, but so anyway, <laughs> we we when you think about the Bitcoin stack, this is imperfect, but you have energy infrastructure that uh, on, you know on top of which data center infrastructure is plugged in. And then you have some, this is an old slide, and then you have some hardware, uh, you know, miners are plugging in hardware on top of that. But what miners are really doing is they're using this layer here, the, the mining pool layer, uh, to basically de-risk the, um, like the day-to-day -day volatility of Bitcoin mining. Thomas and I could, you know, do our darndest, plug in all of our machines that we, you know, can buy with all of our net worth, and we will still likely never mine the block ourselves. And so, to basically... No way, man. This is what I was talking about. I, I still buy... Powerball, I still buy a, a Mega Millions every once in a while. I could win. The, the day you win is the day that I would, I would agree to solo mine with you. But so the, the, but basically what this, what this all amounts to is like uh, there is a group, this mining pool group, that basically takes all of the miners' hash rate and aggregates it. And then it's basically like a union and says, hey, I'm going to pay out based on how much work you've contributed. Uh, and, so, and I'm going to take a small fee for my trouble. But, um, but so if, when we talk about censorship, there, there's a few layers this could happen. There's One, a very big difference that needs to be discussed at that mining pool level because mining pools operate two models. There are a couple of different approaches, but at a basic level, they're bifurcated. They pay out on the actual winnings. So what do we actually win in terms of you know, um, blocks, block rewards and transaction fees? And what is the expected? Most mining pools, I would say north of 90% of mining pools. All but brains. All but brains, right? So, like, and brains is what? Maybe like 2 to 3% of the network? As of today, brains is 1.04% of the network. Ooh. RIP. God, I'm. But like, we, should, we I'm love brains. Shut up. Losing, losing prices right, like left and right. I'm always over. Um, 
I was close though. It's because you're it's because <laughs> you're an optimist, and that's your best one of your best qualities. <laughs> Love my friends. Uh, shout out brands. Um, so they pay out on the actual, but miners don't want that right now, right? They want to be paid out on the expected, right? The value of my hash rate, the theoretical value of my hash rate at the moment. Let's price this out. Pay me out, right? So that causes a lot of mining pool operators that are paying out on the expected value of the hash rate. They operate effectively as banks. Hash rate derivatives, insurance providers. Insurance products. Like, it, it, it ends up being kind of like a, a, a wonky Swap peddlers that, that we're dealing with here. Um, and... That's not a bad thing. Like they're providing a, a tremendously valuable service to miners, but this is a little bit of a gray area. This is a new commodity asset where they're effectively receiving hashes and they are divvying them up and there is balance sheet risk. And how do you manage balance sheet risk? How have we historically managed balance sheet risk when it comes to these types of you know, financial intermediaries and things like that? Um, it's an interesting new world, uh, especially when you, when, when you have an alternative that's paying out on the actual. And the actual should be, and I think will become more, you know, valuable and desirable for miners. I think that when you have enhanced regulatory oversight and things like that, paying out on the actual is going to become more important. But right now, the most desirable thing is consistent cash flow. Yeah, I think that's it's very very well said, especially the balance sheet risk that miners are taking. They're strong uh, that mining pools are taking. There's strong centralizing effects to Bitcoin miners and so, uh, sorry, Bitcoin mining pools. Uh, and um, so I think that's why like many of these pools have been around for a long time. Foundry pool is actually an upstart. This is basically the uh, this is according to mempool.space. I forget what block interval this is based off of. Um, but Foundry is quite big. Foundry is going to be sold soon too because DCG is done. Well, this is that's a t conversation for another Sorry time. Sorry if anybody but, is in the but, DCG family at this point or, or Foundry. We um, love we love you, Uncle Barry. Just give us some money. So the uh, I think the my uh, family, the, me, me familia. But so w one thing is worth pointing out with respect to the regulatory risk here is it's no accident that there are really only three uh, American mining pools in this chart uh, because of that regulatory risk. What I'd are the say. three? Foundry USA, Maripool. Uh, and Maripool. But isn't Maripool a white label? Ma Maripool is most definitely a white label. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this is, th this again, the lack of regulatory clarity with, uh, with, with Bitcoin mining in general has led to, led to some of these, uh, these little strange outcomes. But so, to your and point... And also, Antpool and Via are the same. Well, they are, but we don't need to talk about that. Uh, so, but anyway, so if you if you think about if you think about what 51% attacking or sorry, what censoring the network might look like, there are a couple different ways you can do it. The mining pool is probably the easiest one to do because mining pools are uh, historically not a great business. There's a reason why most mining pools have an auxiliary revenue stream that's kind of their primary business line right now. And so, uh, with Foundry, that was financial services for miners as well as prop mining themselves. Uh, you know, Ampool and ViBTC, uh, maybe they're Bitmain, maybe they're not, who knows. Uh, and then, you know, even some of the other pools will have their own prop mining operations. So, but this would be the easiest way to do it. And what you basically do is you'd, uh, you would only send blocks, blocks of transactions out to miners, uh, that to, to the miners in your pool, that don't include whatever transaction you don't want to be included. Um, 
eventually, though, this is, and this is something, uh, a point that Eric Voskulov makes, eventually another pool will mine uh, that transaction because if someone's sending a transaction that's getting censored, they're going to put a really big fee on it. And so that fee is about censorship resistance, really, not just about transaction ordering. But if I'm offering uh, some miner, you know, one Bitcoin transaction fee, uh, or some mining, some miner, some mining pool, a one Bitcoin transaction fee. Someone's gonna take it. Like some random pool is gonna take this. Is gonna gonna take that transaction. Um, now there are some other ways you could censor too, right? Going back to my imperfect stack, you could also be uh, censored at called a financial services <laughs> level. You could have certain financial services Slush companies pool. basically just say, look, we're not gonna serve you if you're unless you're mining on our certain pool that we want. Um, you could also make the case. And it's worth pointing out that no mining, uh, no financial services company owns a pool now except DCG because <laughs> NYDIG shut down their pool. Um, but the other thing you could do, and this should be the hardest lift, is you basically go to the individual data centers and you're like, look, if I fucking see you mine one of these transactions, uh, I'm, you know, we're going to have a problem. But again, the common thread there is that that all will basically come back to the pool level because that will be the easiest way to do it. So even if you go to North American miners and you say you better not be mining any like non-OFAC compliant transactions, then uh, you might have, uh, that just might just mean they change to a pool that's going to blacklist certain addresses and many of the pools already do this. The, uh, worst, the worst nightmare of a PowerPoint guy is to be just roasted live with your PowerPoint. Go back. Go back. You got compass there. You got slush pool. This is, this is 2021. Block this is stream. summer 2021. You ain't got no Lux. You ain't got old no Luxor. DCG still up top. No foundry. Although All right. some, of, some of these, some of these, <laughs> some of these logos ended up aging well, though. Pri priority, priority power management. <laughs> Micro BT was still the characters. Okay. Yeah. So um, one thing that, <laughs> that I wanted to talk about there, though, is a very important distinction. And this is something that makes these one-on-ones so difficult. And it goes into really the core of the network that we're still trying to figure out. So you referenced Voskull. Voskull's opinion is the censorship-resistant qualities of the Bitcoin protocol are completely derived from and, it, and like embedded therein the transaction fee. And at some point, what somebody is willing to spend to memorialize their transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain is the value of everything. The miners are effectively irrelevant. It comes down to transaction fees. Miners largely disagree with this, right? Miners think of themselves as the keeper of the flame. Node operators say, Miners are high, and they're completely wrong. They're not the keepers of the flame. We are. We're the ones that are validating the work that the miners do. But if you follow what Eric Voskel, and I subscribe to this as well, but I'm irrelevant, and so is Eric. And like, you know, it, it matters what <clears throat> all of us think. Um, uh, the, the value of the transaction fee to get an individual transaction processed is the most important thing. Because at some point, some miner somewhere is going to say, that is valuable enough for me to process no matter what. And it could be regulations. It could be the minor economics on the back end. It could be some of the social political stuff that like you know economic nodes are implementing. But if somebody says, I'll give you $1,000 to process this fucking transaction. I got to get this through. Somebody's going to say, I'm going to put it in my block. 
and then where are the downstream effects? What, what is truly upstream, midstream, downstream in that relationship if somebody is saying, I need to get this process? And that's where it starts to blur the line a little bit when we think about the difference between proof of work and proof of stake and like MEV, minor extracted value or whatever with Ethereum. When, when Ethereum gets overloaded and it just spikes whether or not they want to rob other people in some smart contract for NFT mints or whatever, or the, the, the network is just overloaded. When you need to process a transaction, the fact that you can just pay to process it is kind of an acceleration of a world that you know, the Bitcoin protocol might meet at some point, particularly if there's increased regulatory oversight as it pertains to mining pools and individual miners. At the end of the day, the censorship-resistant property, in my opinion, I could be completely wrong, because I don't know anything, and none of us do. We're all living this, you know, <laughs> for the live stream here. Um, but I think that, like, there's a lot of weight in the value of the, the, transaction, the transaction fee. Yes. I, 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 th I yeah, at some, at, at some point, it's like Uber. Like, you know, where are you trying to go? You, you, Wichita? All right, get in. <laughs> How much? All right, let's go. Let, let, let the record call my wife. Let the record show <laughs> that Bitcoin miners are far smoother, are far more smooth brains than uh, than Uber drivers. Let the record show, but I but I, I agree with the analogy otherwise. Yeah, there's less calculation. With which com uh, uh, a specific company? Yeah, PayPal overpaid for a Bitcoin transaction. But I think they paid like a one Bitcoin uh, transaction. Yeah, fee. for sure. Paid 20 Bitcoin for the transaction. Yeah, it was like, it was a quarter million bucks. Oh, right. It was, yes, yes, yes. Oh, when they gave it back. And no, so they should have given it pro rata to the pool constituents. As far, yeah, burn that <laughs> shit. But no, but to, to, your, to your point, though, I think, the, I think this is one of the unfortunate realities, which is like free market's going to free market. And uh, presumably PayPal was sending it to another large financial institution. And so the financial institution basically just said, you know, like, look, it's probably, it's probably worth maintaining this relationship. Also, it's unclear how the U.S. Uh, US government, uh, how a court, because presumably there might be legal action if they didn't. Uh, It'd be interesting how the fine. Uh, let that play out. I, I, that's part of the process. I, I, I really, I really dislike. Look, there are a lot of companies right now. There are a lot of companies, and I'm not going to name names. And I, I like to assume the best of intentions and everything. But there is a certain like benefit of the doubt that's being given from the industry, and it's been happening for a really long time since like 2013 there has been a certain deference at, with very little pushback. It's at the point where companies and individuals need to stand up to regulatory oversight, like let people challenge things. We have common law that has evolved over hundreds of years, hundreds of years, right? Like this is 
like pretty well-established stuff. The courts work. Bankruptcy law works. It doesn't need to be a regulatory scheme that is just like a bilateral thing that makes legal risk and compliance at some large corporation nervous that they can't do a thing. That shouldn't hold back innovation. Allow the courts to, to do their thing. Yeah, exactly. We may not deserve Bitcoin. Uh, like the only way Bitcoin works is if individuals actually take responsibility. Like, this is a tool, and if we just hand it over to other companies, um, companies are inherently incentivized to work with regulators and have these conversations and make these rules, and it is going to shut out individuals. And if that happens, and this trend continues, we just simply may not deserve Bitcoin. Like, at the end of the day, people need to take control and experiment with this technology and cultivate it and support it and push this forward. Because if it goes to the legal risk and compliance departments at, you know, the companies that are communicating with the regulators, then the individual's ultimately going to lose out. Not entirely, right? We might get some benefits. There might be a world where like, you know, early adopters of Bitcoin become like super wealthy and Bitcoin as a project fails. That would be super fucking sad to me personally. Um, but I think that that is a real possibility. Like people have got to get involved on an individual level and the tools are there. The tools are like just painfully obviously there. Although, one, yeah. maybe one specific point, though, to address the second point, which is, like, is there a universe where maybe one day Foundry Pool basically just wants to suck the fees back? And, again, like, the, one of the real issues, one, it's the sort of the unfairness you talk about of, like, different rules for corporations and individuals. Uh, but, but, two, it does also seem to maybe get at the, or uh, it, it's a weird workaround for, like, the, you know, the immutability aspect that we all know and love about Bitcoin. I mean, I, I don't think there's much that can be done about the corporation to corporation sort of work because, you know, whether there's a business case there or whether they do be just, like that though. Someone's just done the you know expected value calculation. Where it's like, look, I want PayPal to be on my side, or I don't want them to give me a lawsuit. Like, all right, fine, you know, I'll give them back. Uh, I'll be a good partner. But I think the pool will never that'll never fly in mining land because us smooth brain miners are also fucking you know uh, ruthless. I would say uh, it's a, it's a very cutthroat business. And so if a pool accidentally paid people out. 20x the amount of, you know, or t 20 Bitcoin accidentally, that miner is switching to another pool and never looking back and like, you know, Rivadurchi, my guy. Uh, but that's, I think that's... <laughs>
Totally. So one one other aspect, and this is where you get into the uh, one of one of the lines that I've been uh, shouting like a moron for the last uh, year and a half is basically uh, in in models cash flows are continuous in the real world they're stochastic. One thing to point out is that the frequency with which miners get paid on basically every pool in this day and age is on a daily basis. So um, it, uh, like they, it would be it would take some work to go back and be like these two blocks in particular how much were you paid like there would be need to be some math involved. Um, one way you could think about m like miners and mining pools right now is that m miners are basically like uh, you know they're receiving subscription payments from the mining pool in exchange for whatever computational power that they give because they basically are only getting paid every day and so you can't even attribute it to which blocks. Yeah, uh, you know the average miner is a user for a pool. Unless I'm on Brains Pool, I don't even know which blocks we've mined. I just know that I'm getting paid out every day. Auditor's nightmare. So cool if they just like distributed it. Actually, it, it, it would be a, a sweet double spend. It would have been so cool if if miners <laughs> if they send a bunch of oh, oh like one in general if miners like spend a bunch of uh, they send out a bunch of fees and then they basically send blocks to the people they sent the fees out to. All sales, I, I, like all sales are final. Re rewinding <laughs> the uh, their own fees. This is a cash business. All sales are final. <laughs> Oh, sorry, the blockchain must be broken. Um, no, look, I mean, and look, it's still, it's still a growing industry. Like, there is an element that that's the right thing to do. Um, hopefully, it came along with a bit of a lesson, right, in terms of, like, how you deal with these things going forward. Don't make this mistake again. Everybody gets one, but you don't get two. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that's handled, but that's not how... This should be handled like in perpetuity, right? Like everybody needs to have, you know, a lot of responsibility when it comes to, you know, Bitcoin as a monetary protocol, as a communication protocol. Like you can't rely on, you know, goodwill or like courts. This is a bearer asset, and it should be it should be treated as such. Yeah. Well, it becomes very antithetical, right? Because then, then in the like arbitration of that dispute, who pays for that, right? That's socialized. But then, like, you start to get into the whole libertarian nonsense and like taxation, like Whoa. it's just like to like do like the fucking not the libertarian nonsense, but you know what I mean. Like that just it's a cost, and who who pays for the arbitration of settling those disputes? It's a bare asset. Like it, it comes down to the individual responsibility. Don't fuck up. Everybody gets one, not two. Don't don't fuck up. You heard it here first. 
Uh, we got we got two two. We'll go th this this. Break news. What? No way. Mashallah. God damn it. Yeah, he's gonna get. I'm gonna go on record. I I already made a bet. It was a bourbon. I'm, I I bet a bourbon. Um, less than two years. Less not to myself to somebody else. Less than two years in prison. Walks free within two years. Eight to twelve. That's fine. I don't care what it is. He could be sentenced to 60 years. I'll bet you he is walking as a free man, maybe with he, an ankle bracelet, within two years. He's getting the Martha Stewart That's treatment. That's my bet. For and sure. if anybody else wants to bet me a bourbon on that one, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. He's, he's All right, gonna, I'm up to four bourbons, five bourbons. Thomas is, Thomas is fucked. <laughs> huh? He can. He's a nice boy. He's a very sweet boy. He just... He was just. He on is too absolutely much. a sociopath. He's one of our main scammers. I'm devastated because we had four scammers. Three of them were down. I used to say three down, zoo to go. Now zoo's arrested. And now, I, now we I got, don't know what to do with We my got life. no phrases left. I mean, but I got no. Is, I got no jokes left. He he was a, he was a very <laughs> nice boy. Would have been a good one. He just did a little too much meth with the polycule, but you know it happens to the best of us. Um, oh my dear sweet Jimnipity. Well, so, I mean, he's. Uh, I do. I do like. That. Well, I mean, while we're here, though, I think the 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 picture of the courtroom drawing. I thought that was a very Chad Chad Bankman Freed was looking very good. So I have. Uh, we're we're getting a little far afield here, but I have begged the guy from Coinbase that's been doing the doodles on the the yellow like legal pad for one of them. And they're my favorite. If you haven't seen them, I think it's like what uh, it's um, it's not Mark. I think it's Nick. Nick from Coindesk has been doing fantastic mm. courtroom doodles that are just like very basic, but they're just so so brilliant, so tasteful. It's like, please give me one. I'll burn myself. I'll cut myself. Please so, give me one. So, so uh, <laughs> speaking speaking of, uh, of of incarceration, that's not it's not not our goal here at uh, at Pub. Of course, he's guilty. That uh, was never a thing. Like, yeah, of course, he's guilty. Of course, of course, he he he, he, he do be guilty. You know, we we'd be very grateful for this. Uh, are there any other questions with respect to Bitcoin mining 101 uh, bef before we cel celebrate the Pied Piper being uh, put away for quite some time? Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, many such cases. No way. Yeah. So, so here's where here's where I would go if I if I were you. Uh, and and this is I mean these people need to start paying West PubKey. Texas. These people need to start paying PubKey. For uh, for giving them this free promo here, uh, Compass Mining is oh no internet connection maybe it's the sun. What's happening here? Uh, You're gonna do Compass Mining? I was gonna say our boiler room is hot as shit. Well, g curious. All right, so Compass Mining is uh, they they were started in 2020 and they I would say have taken a lot of market share for like. Miners in the U.S., like folks in the U.S. who want to buy a miner, but their power is expensive as shit, and they want to host it somewhere. 
uh, and basically pay the high end of market rates for hosting. A, a service like Compass would be would be one way you could go, where you basically you know you're paying like you're paying retail for for all of this stuff, but it's a way to get hashing. And you can redirect that Bitcoin wherever you want. You can choose whatever pool you want. You can even choose the type of miner. And you're buying a physical machine. So importantly, this is not a financial service. And importantly, it's also not a scam. I mean, you could still you know, take a fucking bath on the investment. But it's not a scam like other cloud mining concepts have been. So I'd say Do that's one. you want to plug a, like a referral link or anything? Yeah, let me get a referral link and then I'll send it to you. And maybe, maybe <laughs> we both make money. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, clearly you got the Midas touch over here. If he's buying, if he's buying, scammy, are there any other questions? Drew does not have a referral link at Compass and you're Mining. Forex your money. <laughs> he's got. <laughs> any other questions? You saying you like this? I'm joking. Are you saying you like you like his deck? No, it's very kind of you. Oof, this, I mean, this is my 2021 oh. thinking. I mean, I, What's I was... What's the question again? Is Bitcoin plural or is it Bitcoin plural? I, I have... Oh. Is it two Bitcoin or two Bitcoins? Uh, so at the, to back at the time, I was strong in the Bitcoins camp. These are the assets. These are unit of account. Now, those who, are, who uh, have nothing better to do all day but spend time on Bitcoin Twitter, they would know that the discourse took a strong pivot uh, in 2022, I think, with Matt O'Dell coming out hard in favor of the Bitcoin. Uh, the singular is the plural. Um, I personally, these days, I don't know. Thomas, what do you think? It's 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 fine to use bitcoins. Uh, I I I do think the singular is the plural, personally. It's it's dollar, uh, and then it, it's not really applicable to dollars because like you have a protocol and the unit of the cow of the protocol is a transfer of bitcoin, and there are no bitcoins because there's just a amount of bitcoin that is transferred, and that is me. My name this is Thomas. I was going to say this, this is, is me. This I wasn't my, saying this was you. This, I would, is, my, this oh. is my portrait. I wouldn't put it's you on hang, blast like this. It's hanging above my marital bed. I wouldn't put <laughs> you like this. This is me. I'm showing my. I'm showing my self portrait. I'm showing my self portrait. <laughs> so, like personally, I do. I do agree with this. I, I look. Um, you're you're dealing. Satoshi's don't exist. Okay, ordinals and ordinal theory is. Um, is ridiculous. There are no unique Satoshis. Um, you can have it if somebody else wants to like agree with that. Um, I do think a, like I think a, the ordinal theory still has like value to it, but like individual Satoshis don't technically exist. So if you extrapolate that into the Bitcoin protocol, it's not Bitcoins. It's just a transfer of Bitcoin, an amount of Bitcoin. Satoshi didn't know what he was talking about. Craig Wright was mistaken. <laughs> he was drunk. He was drinking way too much cab salve. At time to time, he was dressed as a Roman emperor, all the armor and everything. Craig Wright is Satoshi. Thank God he doesn't have access to the private keys. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it because it's the best case scenario. He'll just, he'll just <laughs> forever be that guy in the Twilight Zone episode that breaks his glasses. And like that's the best Satoshi. He's my Satoshi, Craig Wright. 
Satoshi is <laughs> be the Satoshi you want to <laughs> see in the world. Um, and I guess I guess with that, uh, if there are no further questions. I want to thank everyone for what was another lovely uh, monthly mining meetup. Uh, come again next time. Uh, if you want the uh, the slide deck for any of your personal use, let me know. I'd be happy to send. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the rest of your evening. This was great. Couple of housekeeping items. First of all, thank you to Drew and Cathedra. The, the deck was um, pristine, spectacular. Next week, we have uh, Galaxy Digital and on the brink, the folks from Castle Island Ventures are gonna be here for a live podcast, recording, whatever. Don't really know how this is gonna go, but if you're interested, please RSVP as soon as possible. We expect this one to be like way over capacity. Capacity here is about 100 people. This one is gonna be a lot of fun. Um, we have a number of other events that we think are going to be um, you know, pretty exciting throughout the end of the year. Away Slice, the guy that does the Bitcoin beefsteaks, is gonna be doing a very special Danish Christmas lunch. So in Denmark, they have their own Christmas tradition, which has lots of like pickled fish and shit but it doesn't matter. It's gonna be a brunch on a Friday, December 8th. Tickets are gonna go on sale soon. Please um, you know, keep an eye on our Telegram, our meetup group. Uh, information is coming out. The most pressing one though for everybody that, that's here, next week is gonna fill up quickly. I think that we're already at about like you know, 35 RSVPs um, and over the next you know, week or so, this one's gonna uh, ramp up quickly. So please sign up for Galaxy Digital on the brink, live at PubKey next Thursday. Thank you for coming. Thank you to Drew. Contact him for his sweet, sweet deck. My, my OnlyFans, zero comp, zero comp for the OnlyFans.